whenever you can bring in that human experience and just get somebody to observe a authentic emotion, because so much of marketing out there is just over stylized, over polished, over sterilized, it really sticks out and there's a signal through the noise. This is the CMO NGO podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have you on the pod. Uh, you're a marketing uh, expert, a growth marketing strategist. Um, but before we jump into all that, uh, perhaps maybe give a little bit of a background about uh, who, who you are. Yeah, uh, I work in growth at Bespoke Post, which is a subscription box for guys. Uh, prior to that, I was in the affiliate marketing world, and I have some biz dev experience before that. So sort of used like my affiliate experience to kind of pivot into growth marketing. Um, And yeah, I've really like fallen in love with the D2C space over the last year or so. Uh, What, you know, building a compelling brand, the balance between, you know, effective performance marketing um, and actually, you know, positioning a D2C brand to find success uh, in the current market. So yeah, just uh, really fallen in love with the space and happier I'm at. Oh, that's awesome. No, I see you guys uh, ads on Facebook and Instagram all the time. Uh, I, love what, I love what you guys are doing. <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, perhaps maybe tell us how you got into your role at uh, Bespoke Post. Sure. Uh, so as I mentioned, my prior role was a sort of quote-unquote agency of two that I had with my brother where we were running primarily Facebook uh, mobile app install campaigns for a number of uh, online casinos based primarily in Europe. So it was pretty interesting experience to say the least. It was a pretty unique space. You know, we were running ads in countries like Germany, Belgium, New Zealand, Estonia, Latvia. Um, so I was, I was initially brought on to the spoke post to sort of bolster their Facebook marketing. Uh, however, what, what I found when I got there was we were just finding a ton of success with non Facebook channels. So, what I've been spending the majority of my time on over the last year or so has been continuing to build out those non-Facebook channels and just really diversify our marketing mix. Mm. What uh, sort of channels would you say, is, uh, just for our listeners, I guess, but what channels would you say is giving uh, the highest ROI for you guys, if you can share? Yeah. Um, you know, it really varies from month to month. Uh, as we find, you know, creative that resonates on channel X versus channel Y, uh, you know, the normal sort of cycles of the ad market auction environment. Um, but right now I would say we're finding really solid ROI on Twitter ads. Actually, it's a brand new channel for us. And a lot of our targeting is around keywords. So I think because we're finding people who are actively searching for what we offer, they're just a lot more qualified than other paid social channels. Right, right. You know, I notice you guys have over half a million followers on through the social platform. So it's interesting you say Twitter is um, kind of where you're seeing the most ROI. 
feel most people like to focus their marketing spend on Facebook and Instagram because that's kind of where everybody's hanging out these days. But uh, no, it's interesting that Twitter's um, a heavy uh, hitter for you guys. Yeah, you know, it, it is still a really small part of the overall pie for us, but the you know that small influx of traffic that we are getting from Twitter is just really, really high quality. That being said, you know, like you mentioned, Facebook and Instagram, they're definitely still our workhorses. Right. Um, so obviously, uh, everybody knows the pandemic has been going on, but uh, for you personally, how has that kind of affected you and even um, kind of your marketing? Yeah. Um, for me personally, I'm fortunate. I still have a job. A lot of people can say that right now. So definitely counting my blessings every day in that regard. Um, in terms of advertising, we were one of those subscription companies that actually saw a large influx of business initially, what we call like the COVID bump in uh, April and May, especially uh, where we were seeing you know, Black Friday level growth numbers and CPAs dropped by, you know, 30 to 40% consistently for weeks and weeks at a time across all channels, which was uh, really wild, but also challenging from, you know, an inventory and for fulfillment and customer experience perspective. Um, but after the initial few months of COVID, I think as people started to get used to this new environment, um, we've seen things stable out significantly and we're pretty much back to business as usual um, a lot of that is part is due to our product offerings so unlike you know a lot of subscription companies out there we sort of cater to the outcome environment you know a lot of our products are barware or camping gear things that you can still do in this in this new normal so we are definitely fortunate in that regard as well mm. I guess maybe taking a little bit of a step backwards, uh, just for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with Bespoke Post, uh, could you maybe touch on kind of what you guys do? Yeah, uh, so we're a cross-category subscription box geared towards men, but we do have a small and growing female subscriber base. How it works is you essentially take a preference quiz when you're signing up. Tell us about what you like. Is that, you know, drinkware, barware, uh, do you like smoking tobacco products are more into outdoor gear or home and kitchen goods and based on those preferences we suggest to you a box every month that's dedicated to introducing you to something new or a cool under the radar brand um, you can then choose to either keep that box or swap it for one of our dozen or so other boxes available in any given month or you can skip that month entirely so people really appreciate that flexibility that we give them as well as the introductory element of the subscription service. So finding new cool under the radar brands. That's really cool. It's almost like getting a uh, birthday present every month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing you touched on uh, the last couple of questions ago, but uh, you mentioned customer experience uh, from your experience, I guess uh, what's kind of the elements of a good customer experience. Yeah. So, you know, number one, I should, copy out this by saying I am on the growth team. So I definitely don't spend a ton of time in the day to day of our CX. You know, that being said, we do work really closely with our CX team. And what seems to be most important is just maximizing human to human interactions. So whenever you can get, you know, a real physical person talking in real time to the customer, uh, they seem to love that. And it often turns an upset customer. Uh, into a satisfied customer by the end of the conversation. 
Right. So having that kind of empathy and um, really listening and uh, getting to their needs, essentially. Yeah. Um, one question I didn't want to ask you, Peter, was uh, what kind of, or from your perspective, how has the industry changed, uh, the marketing industry or digital marketing industry, if you will, uh, changed from when you first started uh, to today? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is there's just a lot more competition in the space as vendors like, you know, Shopify, Fast, uh, all these different e-commerce players start to make it easier to start and launch a business with very little capital. We're just seeing, you know, higher CPMs on Facebook, for example, year over year, every single year, uh, as I believe 70% of Facebook's ad spend business comes from SMBs. So as people are you know, starting more and more small businesses and uh, the barriers to entry to e-commerce are dropping, competition is heating up across the board. And more than ever, you need to just be on top of your game from everything from your email messaging, um, your growth strategy, your conversion rate optimization, and your on-site experience. It's just a lot more competitive, whereas I think five or 10 years ago, you could easily find great arbitrage opportunities on Facebook and scale a brand to, you know, 50 to hundred million in revenue on Facebook ads alone. I don't think that's the case anymore. So you have to be more creative, think more out of the box and make sure that your core competencies are being executed on really well. Right. So say, I guess a lot of our listeners are like you mentioned, SMBs marketers, um, of small or medium sized businesses. But if you were to launch a new brand today, what kind of executions would you utilize to, like you said, scale it up into a significant uh, brand? Yeah, honestly, I would think really outside of the box. So you have to, you have to like differentiate yourself, not only in your product, which is just a given, you better have a rockstar product and really unique positioning, but also in things like distribution channel, how you're reaching the customer, how they're discovering the platform. So I wouldn't even, invest a dime in Facebook ads for at least, you know, the first year of the company, I would, I would look at things like, you know, product seeding influencers on TikTok or leveraging SMS as an acquisition channel, maybe a text to order rather than just collecting emails in your start flow. So really thinking outside of the box and determining where the arbitrage opportunities are from a like price to growth potential perspective to reach new customers at scale. Interesting. Um, so for, um, I guess for your career, uh, what's kind of been the most successful marketing campaign you've ever worked on? The most successful. That's a great question. Um, you know, when I was working in the online casino space, we actually ran a Facebook ad campaign where, uh, the theme was essentially a variety of people being caught in the moments that they won online jackpots with our mobile casino apps and something about seeing people expressing that like raw emotion on camera drove an insane ROI on Facebook for a really, really long time. It was by far the best creative we ever launched. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to what I said about, you know, making a successful CX strategy. The same thing applies for growth. Whenever you can bring in that human experience and just get somebody to observe a authentic uh, emotion because so much of marketing out there is just over stylized, over polished, over sterilized. Uh, it really sticks out and there's a signal through the noise. Right. So would you say authenticity is part of that equation as well? 
hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing in marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, there's lots of marketers, uh, listening to the podcast. Um, but from your journey, I guess, from your perspective, what's kind of been the most, um, the most, or I guess the best resources that's helped you, um, along the way. Yeah, I, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Um, I can't recommend 2PM Inc. enough. 2PM is a direct-to-consumer sort of think tank, and I believe they have a venture capital arm as well, started by one of the initial co-founders of Mizzen and Maine. Um, and it just has a ton of really insightful think pieces, as well as more actionable advice in the D2C space. Um, I also really enjoy reading Stratechery, which is a blog by Ben Thompson, and that focuses more on the media and big tech role in marketing. Um, and in addition to that, I think Modern Retail is a great um, online publication to just keep up with trends in the space. Um, and then finally, I think Twitter has actually been really, really helpful for me in growing as a marketer. Following the best marketers on Twitter has done more for me, no joke, than my college degree. <laughs> learn so much on Twitter. Well, that's awesome. As, what's kind of the your go-to or even brands or marketers that you admire? Yeah, um, I really admire Webb Smith. He is the co-founder of Missing and Main that I mentioned. Um, I really like the guys at Common Thread Co. Common Thread Co. is an agency and also e-commerce holding company. It's just like publishing a ton of great marketing strategy stuff right now. Uh, Kyle Tibbetts is another one on Twitter. He's a great marketing mind. And even you know Neil Patel gets a lot of hate as being like, uh, sort of fake, uh, like Ty Lopez sort of character, but he has really actionable marketing content as well. If you're just trying to learn like the fundamentals of you know, things like SEO or how to get started in affiliate marketing, that sort of thing. What's, what's uh, not to put you on the spot, but what's maybe kind of a big golden nugget that really unlocked kind of something, uh, marketing golden nuggets or even some insight that you've learned from the marketers you've admired that you can maybe share with the listeners? Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about, and I guess this is a bit more high level, but the, the idea of what's called linear commerce. So if you think about e-commerce companies on a spectrum, uh, one end being just pure content plays, like content first, e-commerce second, like for example, uh, Gizmodo. And then if you think of it, the other end of the spectrum being you know, a pure e-commerce company like MVMT Watches, we are really moving from the MVMT pure e-commerce side of the spectrum to the media company first, products second end of the spectrum. So otherwise, to, to say that in a different way, uh, in order to gain like real, true mastery and competency as a brand these days, it's a necessity to have some kind of content arm of your business. Um, and that content arm, if it is strong and you're coming out with quality content, not only helps from an SEO perspective, but it just creates this flywheel where you're going to continue getting more and more quality repeat customers coming back for the content and staying for your product. And you're seeing it in everything from you know blogs and, and companies like BuzzFeed that are starting their own private label brands to YouTube influencers who are starting makeup companies, etc. So I, I, I think about that a lot and how Bespoke Post, as well as myself as an aspiring you know someday founder of a brand. Uh, can continue to like 
have an unfair advantage by produ producing quality content. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that. It seems like brands, like you mentioned these days, are uh, moving towards like the media company. Um, lots of companies actually moving towards um, producing their own content, whether it be podcasts or blogs or uh, other forms of content. It seems like that's more of um, in the mix now in the marketing strategy nowadays. Yeah, definitely. It just gives you an edge up and, and makes the playing field a little bit more uneven. So I, I like it as a competitive edge. Yeah, no, I love that you also mentioned that uh, you aspire to be a founder of a brand uh, in the future. Um, so I'm sure you've also worked with a ton of brands as well and uh, also working for Bespoke Post. But maybe what's kind of the biggest misconception about launching a new brand? Uh, probably that it's easy. You know, it, on paper, people think that starting a clothing line is easy just because you can, you know, go to teespring.com and print out your design on 50 t-shirts and they think that that's a clothing brand. But the truth is, I think because it seems so easy on paper, successfully launching a brand today is one of the hardest things that you can do. A sustainable, you know, brand that actually has some kind of like tangible exit strategy um, because everybody thinks it's so easy and it's really just one of the hardest things you could do. It constantly blows my mind when people who have no experience in marketing or products or e-commerce of any kind just decide to quote unquote start a brand. It's like me deciding that I want to be an astronaut tomorrow just because, <laughs> you know, I bought a spacesuit. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, absolutely. How many times uh, one of my friends say they're going to start a t-shirt company is uh, I've only got a penny for every time I heard that. <laughs> yeah, <good. laughs> um, speaking of trends, actually, uh, what's maybe one of the most exciting marketing trends you're seeing right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, part of me wants to say the linear commerce trend. So I do think, you know, marketing... Brands are becoming media companies and the line between the two is blurring. I think that's really interesting. Uh, another one that's a bit more uh, recent and I'm, I'm not quite sure how sustainable it will be, especially given the headlines as of late, is TikTok. So seeing how brands are leveraging TikTok has been really interesting um, and seeing what brands are deciding to use it as a core marketing strategy, what brands are using it as a paid media strategy, and even uh, the influencer success that some brands are seeing. Because I've, I have heard, I haven't had a ton of experience on TikTok myself, but apparently the sort of like viral factor or the viral potential of organic posts is super, super high on TikTok to the point where, you know, if you do give the right micro-influencer your product and they create something quality out of it, a $50 to $100 investment can turn into you know, something that garnered over 10 million impressions. So I think the growth potential there is interesting. It just is a matter of is TikTok going to be allowed to stay in the United States or not and what that would look like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, the headlines, you never know um, if it's going to stay. Uh, but given maybe let's, let's say hypothetically you're given um, let's say 50% more budget. What's uh, what, platforms would you spend it on and uh, even media executions would you spend it on and why? Yeah. Um, at Bespoke Post, I think if I were given 50% extra budget, I would probably
probably spend it on podcasts and DRTV or like OTT linear TV um, only because we've really hit the point where we're starting to exhaust our direct response channels. And we have been chatting internally about if TV is the right next step for us. So yes, if I was given an extra 50% budget out of thin air, that would be a great way for us to just reach an incremental audience that we're not maybe reaching on, you know, Facebook or Snapchat, for example, um, and getting these new uh, audiences into our funnel. No, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned podcasts, and I also know you have some experience in influencer marketing as well. Um, what's kind of the um, maybe high-level strategies for influencer marketing that maybe some some of our listeners could leverage? Yeah, so for me personally, all of our influencer marketing partnerships are very growth-focused. So we're not really looking for you know vanity metrics like impressions or unique reach, we're really looking to back into an acceptable CPA and get a positive ROI out of every placement. The one thing that I recommend to brands who are starting influencer marketing from scratch is really start with the basics from a targeting perspective. Don't overthink, you know, what is the, you know, are there outdoor enthusiasts or are there uh, foodies following this influencer? Start with, are the majority of these influencers viewers even in your geographical region you know are they all in the united states if you only ship to the u.s are they predominantly male if you're a men's brand for example and the, the bare minimum of that demographic targeting and ruling out you know more global brands that might or more global influencers rather that might seem more on brands that will get you 50 percent of the way to running a profitable uh influencer campaign so it sounds silly but yeah, I see it all the time where, you know, a makeup company works with a makeup influencer because they think it's a great fit. And then they find out, you know, over 50% of that influencer's base is in Europe and they only ship to North America. So it's a basic mistake, but a lot of brands, I think, make that. No, that's some really great, uh, great insight, Peter. Um, switching gears a little bit, I kind of want to <laughs> maybe this question, next question will be a little bit um Tricky, I don't know, but uh, maybe what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? That's a good question. Um, probably, maybe, what are you bad at? I mean, I know, you know, in interviews, I always ask you, what's your greatest weakness? And everybody makes <laughs> up a lie. Like, I work too hard. But I, I really think if people were more honest about what they're just genuinely not good at, um, and as a result, how they sort of outsource that weakness to people who can do it better or find people around them to fill in the gaps in their skill set. I think that would really help marketing organizations. But it, I, do, I do feel like, uh, generally speaking, people are hesitant to admit to their weaknesses uh, because they think it is a sign of weakness. But I do think it's a sign of strength to just say sometimes, you know what, that's not my core competency. Uh, I prefer to, you know, use an agency or a vendor for that, or maybe, you know, X, Y, Z person on my team is more adept at that than me. No, that's, that's having that self-awareness is, could take you a long way. And, uh, my follow-up question, not to put you on the spot, Peter, but what are you not so good at? <laughs> you know, a lot of things, Joe. <laughs> um, one thing that I struggle with is I do have, I think, a really strong bias for action, which is my strength. So I kind of trend towards action and, and 
being scrappy and doing something, trying something new. Um, as a result, I find that I occasionally don't think every element of that decision through and maybe create more work for myself down the road because I didn't approach it from a strategic mindset as I should have. So I'm really trying to work on, you know, taking a step back, whether that's from launching a new ad channel or working with an agency partner and just making sure that I've thought through, you know, as many possible outcomes and factors in the decision as possible before undertaking that uh, new venture. And, and that's something that I think is just going to be an ongoing uh, journey for me. Hmm, interesting. I guess my next question would probably be the inverse of that, but uh, from your perspective, or maybe even you personally, what's kind of a unique skill that's helped you become successful, or maybe even a unique skill that marketers, or what you've seen marketers have that's make them successful? Yeah, one thing that I found has helped me sort of differentiate uh, compared to my peers is having a more intuitive sense of just what works in direct response advertising than a lot of my colleagues. So having that uh, innate ability to use your gut and guess, you know, is this messaging going to work with this audience? Is this ad creative going to work? Do we think people will respond appropriately to this email? How do we think people are going to respond to this social post? Having sort of a gut instinct for consumer psychology um, has proven to be really useful for me. And so, you know, other marketers might have more innate analytical abilities or other skills, but I've found that it's been really helpful to just be able to, generally speaking, have a good idea of how, you know, an A-B test on a landing page is going to perform or how an ad is going to perform. I'm not always right, but I do think I'm above average in that regard. That's awesome. Only a couple more questions here for you, Peter. Um, my next question is, uh, what's kind of the uh, thing you're most proud of that maybe we haven't touched on on the podcast? Um, you know, I'm just happy and proud to be working in marketing right now, as silly as that sounds. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, this is a really, really tough time for a lot of people uh, all over the world. So the fact that I am still you know, getting a salary, full employed full-time, at a brand that I'm really proud to be a part of is really gratifying for me. And I couldn't be more grateful for that. No, that's awesome. What can our listeners connect with you online? Yeah. Give me a follow up on Twitter at Peter Zapiga. I occasionally tweet about marketing strategy and uh, e-commerce. So Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll let the, the listeners know where to connect with you. And uh, to finish off the podcast, I usually like to ask the guests, since it's a marketing and branding podcast, but uh, maybe what's one word or phrase that describes Pre- Peter Sapiga's brand? Um, I would say never too serious. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.